Hey, Mr. Breen, how you doing today? Um, I'm doing okay. You know, I feel like I should be doing better though, to be perfectly honest, like the sun is out right now. Like the, the indoor band just got lifted in Denver. Um, you know, I feel like things should be going better, but I'm just not feeling a little down in the dumps. I don't know. Yeah. You, you know what? You and me both. I mean, the sun is shining, but I don't even care. <laughs> it's just, that's this, this quarantine and this stay at home stuff. It is it has literally worn me down. It yeah, has it. driven me to the ground, and I don't know what is going to be able to pick me up anytime soon. Right. It's just the grind of it all, right? And you yeah. just feel like things should be getting better, but like inside, I just have this like waiting for something to happen sort of feeling. I don't know what it is. Like we're rounding down the school year. I don't know. It's just <laughs> like it's it's worn me down. I'm worn it, down. Agreed. I just. I keep, like you said, I keep waiting for something good to happen and it doesn't, it's just, I don't know. I'm kind of picking up a theme for today. Ooh, what we're theme are you picking about, up? Well, we're talking about like just being like worn down and kind of depressed and things seem like they should be getting better, but they never really do. Um, are we going to talk about like maybe Russia today? Yes. Yes, Ooh. we are, Mr. Breen. Maybe that was some of it. We're just channeling like, oh, not I'm going to start doing more voices on the podcast. I think that's going to be a thing I should do is I, more voices. I'll be entertained. Yeah, I, I love them. <laughs> and you know, my students, if they, they heard when I did the Rasputin live show, they know I've got like a one good Russian voice. Just Very like nice. One good English show. We'll do some Russia today. <laughs> <laughs> Things are not good for us, comrade. It is a Russia kind of day. Hey, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to another edition of Storytime with the Historist with your host, Jen Dumont, Matt Barine. Hey. And like we said, today is going to be all about Russia. And it's a uh, nice connection to the absolute malaise we feel right now. Yeah. I mean, and it is. I mean, like if we just hop right into this thing, let's just take outside right now. Like it's sunny, it's nice, and Russia starts sunny and nice, right? Like the the Russians. It kind of does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, with the like, so just pure like, there's a little conjecture right at the beginning. Where do the Russians come from? The Russian people. The generally accepted theory, right, is that the Russians are descended from the Vikings. Right, that they yeah. rode down from Scandinavia down mm -hmm. the, the various rivers coming out of the Baltic mm -hmm. Sea. Um, they row into uh, what is now modern day Ukraine mm -hmm. and they set up shop on the Dnieper River at Kiev. The yeah. heart, heart of the Russian people is the city of Kiev then and now. Um, and the Kievan Rus, or the men who row, they get off to a kind of a good start, right? They, they really do. Like, you know, as, as, you know, the Vikings settle in, uh, you know, between obviously the Baltic and the Black Seas, and they set up some trading agreements with some civilizations. Others, they do their typical Viking thing, demand tribute. You don't give it. We're going to, you know, raid, pillage, steal, and kill. Those um, are my people. Those yeah, there you go. I'm, dude, I'm telling you, you'd fit in with the Vikings. The beard alone would. would... I think I'm starting to look a little shaggy, a little, a little unkempt. <laughs> That would, hey, Vikings fits right in. Perfect. <laughs> so they do settle in this land and, and they do, for lack of a better word, make Kiev kind of their capital of this territory. And they, and they start, you know, building up principalities and they trade with the Byzantine Empire because like the Dnieper flows into the Black Sea, which then gets access to Constantinople. So things are going really good. They eventually right. adopt Christianity under Vladimir. 
Right. But they're open, yeah. right? They've got like, I know there's um, Ibn Fadlan is the name of the, mm-hmm. the envoy from the opposite caliphate uh, who very famously like leaves a record of his time with the Vikings uh, in Central Europe. Yeah. Uh, gives rise to one of the best, worst movies of all time, Ibn Fadlan's account. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm talking about 13th Warrior. Have you seen the 13th Warrior? I have not. You are not missing much. <laughs> Spoiler on that one. Um, most famous for being the movie that lost the most. It's like the biggest box office flop of all time relative oh, to how much money it costs to nice. make. But it does have heartthrob Antonio Banderas. So. Okay, isn't that like a heartthrob for somebody my mom's age? Yeah. Okay. But he's still a heartthrob. I mean, he might have like a th- throbbing heart at this point. I think he's like 70. He's probably Didn't he have a heart like- attack too? probably yeah okay yeah but after that movie flopped i'm sure he did <laughs> i did yeah but you know that that comes with like michael Crichton's eaters of the dead and all that sort of stuff so the the russian people get off to a good start they do like they, they have trade on boys they're they're in this awesome um sort of nexus between asia and europe but that's also kind of a double-edged sword for them right just being at that that crossroads points mm-hmm. between europe and asia kind of leads to some bad stuff as well it does. So, you know, things are going well from about, I don't know, late 1800s to early 1200s. Uh-oh. And then, ladies and gentlemen, wait for it. The Mongols. The Mongols. Cue and- the Mongolage. <laughs> Sorry, John Green. Ripped you off. That's what we do here on Storytime with the History. That is what we do. We're really good at it, too. Um, so the Mongols come in around 1237, and they demand the surrender of Kiev, which is under the leadership of Vladimir. And Vladimir says no, because, again, the, Russia is the first place that the Mongols really actively seek to control or for lack you know sometimes terrorize and so it's not like the russians had any idea of what the mongols were going to do if people didn't surrender no they had not they had nothing for it right yeah and and that becomes like a calamity sort of thing because we know that the mongols had this really vicious surrender or die policy Mm -hmm. he says no he chooses die unbeknownst to him probably because again these guys are vikings they're descended from vikings they are even if they've gotten a little soft living in the cities which Mm -hmm. like that'll happen to the mongols too right but like they should be able to hold their own in their own minds and they have no idea what they've run into right so and, and they get crushed they they absolutely get crushed kiev gets crushed um novgorod gets crushed like it's it's just a full-on slaughter and part of the reason for that is the lack of surrender but the other part is that the mongols never really saw a use for Russia, the, the Golden Horde part of their Khanate. Right. Um, it really was more of a testing grand, ground for the Mongol war machine to see right. how effective it would be than if they went into Central Asia or China or the Middle East. And, it, and you know, spoiler alert, quite effective. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and it they works. Used it, yeah, yeah kind of like an ATM machine in a lot of ways. Yeah, right? They're just exactly. extracting wealth. Um, but that wealth extraction does give us, uh, as historians, some evidence to the, the fact that the, the Russian people had definitely built up a base of resources and mm-hmm. built up a base of civilization. And this is really a setback because now instead of like some of the, the, the flowering that we saw in like Quazim or in Southern mm-hmm. China or with the Yuan dynasty, like the Russians just basically get left as this backwater. They're cut right. off from the rest of Europe. They're cut off from commerce and trade. Um, they're cut off from basically everything and nothing's going to be really developed while the Russian heartland is part of the golden board. It's yeah, just, it's- it doesn't because all those resources that the Russians could have been using to develop, continually develop this Russian territory is going to the Mongols and the Mongols are not using it for the Russians. They're using it for themselves. That's right. 
the bigger issue that we see, well, I shouldn't say bigger because, you know, the slaughter <laughs> of villages is pretty darn big. Pretty bad. The, the other issue we see is the Mongols move the capital of Russia from Kiev, which is, if you guys know your, your geography, is pretty close to Eastern Europe, right? It's closer to the Black Sea, you gain contact with Eastern Europe and the Byzantine Empire. Well, they move that capital much farther north and much farther east to Moscow. That's bad news. It is bad news because it is so much harder to trade, especially when the Mongols eventually get kicked out of Russia. Um, I don't know if they got kicked out so much as they were just, you know, falling apart. It left this huge gap of space between the rest of Europe and Russia. And so when the rest of Europe does develop more uh, during the age of exploration, during the industrial revolution, Russia doesn't get the benefit from that because they are now so far removed from Eastern Europe. Thanks, Mongols. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, and they really do remain frozen in time, right? Mm -hmm. We've got here like Ivan the third, like air quotes, kicks out the Mongols in 1462. I mean, this is um, Prince Henry, the navigator territory. This yeah, is, right then, yeah. We are at that point where the Portuguese are about to, to dip into the Indian Ocean trade networks, mm-hmm. where um, the new world is on the precipice of being discovered by Columbus. Right. Um, and and at that same time that the world is really starting to push forward, we see the Russians kind of moving backwards. Like mm-hmm. they go in and they form these czars. Like the etymology of that word is like emperor, yeah. like Caesar is right. really where it comes from. This like sort of Roman sort of idea. And with the establishment of this new monarchy um, comes like one of the, the next great calamities of the Russian people, which is monarchies tend to be hereditary. And in the case of Russia, from this point on, we're going to have like basically the same ruling family. The Romanovs yeah. um, are going to be the predominant family. And every single time there's a new Romanov leader, it's like rolling the dice of monarchy here. Yeah. What are you going to come up with, right? And I know um, our our friend uh, uh, Dan Carlin from Hardcore History talks about this idea of sometimes you roll and they come up sevens, and you're going to get some sevens, um, which are going to be awesome. A person like Louis the Fourteenth, for example. But lots of times when you roll that monarchy dice, mm-hmm. you get snake eyes, yeah. right? And it seems improbable that the Russians could roll so many snake eyes. Right. If you ever like go to uh, a gaming table mm-hmm. when you're an adult, um, you should go whenever you want. You are an adult. I am an adult. Um, yes, right. But our well, at least in my own mind. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm still a child. I'm Peter Pan. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could go and you know you roll those snake eyes. It shouldn't happen. The probability of coming up snake eyes two ones is pretty low. Yet. The Russians, the Russians do it. You've got a talent for this, right? So they have some really bad leadership. Oh, right? really, really bad. And for those of you not familiar with the gambling an- analogy, it works actually really well. Sevens, like if you're at a craps table, you want to roll sevens. If you roll snake eyes, it is like the worst roll, right? The worst. Mm-hmm. And so, and Russia does continually seem to roll snake eyes. Or right. even when they get that that one time that they roll those sevens, you're like, all right, the hot streak's going to continue. It's going to be awesome. No. No, no. no. Right? And I mean, they, their, their rules of the dice create such epic monarchs as like Ivan the Terrible. <laughs> yeah, who like, right. Not a lot of inference needs to be made on that nope, one. Like that's, that's what the people chose to call him. Like that was the best they could come up with. Like I guess it was terrible. Yeah, he was. <laughs> so, that's pretty self-explanatory, and it, it doesn't yeah. get much better. You just not that like these are the worst czars on or leaders on the face of the planet. They're just they're not great. It's kind of right. like 
the doldrums. You're like, oh, look, another czar, another czar. And they don't do anything um, visionary. They they don't have the the mindset to really improve Russia. They don't have the re- they don't use the resources to do it until they Ooh, roll a seven comes up in 1682 with Peter the Great. Peter the Great. Now let's talk about what makes Peter the Great the Great because it seems to me like Peter the Great could have been the Great because like it's like hey listen guys I come up with new thing with do with potato and everybody's like yeah I mashed it right <laughs> that could make him great um, but in the in the annals of greatness he's in pretty European great monarchs he's up there with some of the best that ever were right. Yeah. So what does he do? Kind of walk us through what makes Peter the Great better than just Peter the Mashed Potato Man. <laughs> the big thing is he's a visionary. He, he is not what we would consider a traditional Russian czar. He, he values education. He values foreign input. Uh, he's heavily interested in science and math. And you just don't see that in a lot of early Russian czars, right? No. They're interested in, in drinking and eating and and the prestige that the position brings peter is different um and so when he eventually gets to the throne which does take some time a little bit of a sad backstory maybe we can cover that in a different podcast because it's really sad i know um he does become czar of russia and he decides that above all else he wants to modernize the nation they are too far back from everybody else it's like that they're like everybody else is at a starting line in a track meet and everybody's like at that line and russia's like 50 feet you know they're just off back. hanging out at yeah. like the hot dog the stand. hot dog stand exactly yeah trying right? to like oh, no, listen, oh, like, oh my god catch we gotta up. catch up yeah, yeah. exactly catch so, up puns <laughs> so, so sick. much um so he's gonna modernize now i would love to say that he is someone who was going to modernize everything in Russia, not quite the case. What he really wants to modernize is he wants to modernize the military. Well, that's and, his power. Yeah, that's, that, that's his power. That's his fascination. And he, his whole premise is that Russia needs access to a warm water port, right? In order ah. to, to enter the trading game with the rest of Europe, they have to be able to do it year round. And they can't do it in their normal ports because they freaking freeze, right? right? And there's no and is- ice cracking boats at this stage of the game. Right. So we're, we're way up north. We're way yeah. out like east. Um, and like you said, Moscow's out in the sticks. Yeah. And so he needs to get some of this, uh, this warm water access. But of course, to do that, he's going to need like ships. He yeah. needs a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's starting from scratch. Yeah, he needs a Navy. And so he goes abroad. Okay, to learn from the experts. He goes to Holland and learn, learn shipbuilding from the Dutch East India Company, which is the, just the Dutch version of the BEIC. Um, the best one in the, in yeah, the world. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Goes to Prussia, uh, which has got one of the top militaries at the time and learns military strategies and technologies and brings that back to nice. Russia. Goes to England to learn about manufacturing processes. Early manufacturing. Yep. Yeah, we talked about that previously. Yeah, that's right around this time period as well. And then he brings that all back to Russia and says, hey, let's get it done. We need a modern military, a modern economy, a modern Navy. And then he even sends out other Russian men to go learn as well. Like we're on a, he's, he is focused. Right. He, I mean, and then he's not just all like, I'm thinking of those people that moved to Colorado. This is like my elitist 
grew up in Colorado, born native standpoint of like people move out here. And then like the first thing they do is go buy like an Epic pass and they get the oh, best yeah. snowboard po- possible. They get all the best gear. Um, you know, they go get their Subaru so that they can, you know, drive one mile an hour through the, through the mountains. <laughs> um, and they get up there and they're like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then they go and they fall all the way down the mountain all day long and never do it again. And, right. and you just, it's like, there was no like action behind deed sort of thing. Right. I went right. out and got all the best stuff, but then I never did anything with it. Right. That's not him. No. Right. No, he does. He does make sure his people look the part. So he does, but it's more than just posers, right? Like he very famously has the boyers, the, the Russian nobility chop off their beards, yeah. which like I'm pro beard. Um, this is controversial uh, <laughs> story time with a history <laughs> standpoint here. Um, but like AP world needs more beards. It seems to be me and Heimler um, out there and on the forefront of this, my beard's better than his hot take. Um, <laughs> but we're coming for you next time where we got John green. Now you're next. <laughs> Um, but at any rate, like in 1704, he actually puts his war machine to work, right? Yeah, he actually yeah. goes and he doesn't just say, we want this warm water port. He goes out there and he takes a yeah, warm water port does. from Sweden. And Sweden isn't like, it's not like Scandinavian meatball Sweden today. Like, like right. Ikea and everybody's like, oh yeah, dirty, it's dirty. Sweden. I don't know how to, I'm, this all I can think of is the chef. Chef from, from Muppets. Exactly. It's not, that's not that them. Not at, at that time, <laughs> I promise you, they were not just like Swedish meatballs. They could fight. I mean, yeah, they they could. still had some of that Viking heritage to them. Yeah. Um, they were a feared military um, still at this point. And so like, that's and the a Russians big win. beat them. Yeah. That's a big win. And so, there, that's it, right? Uh, the dark clouds have passed, right. and things are now good for Russia forever on, right? Yep, it's true. You know, it's totally true because you know Peter's rolled the sevens, and he rolls them actually a couple times. Like he's on a little bit of a hot streak, and then he dies. Oh no, that's awful. I mean, all deaths are bad. Yeah, <laughs> but, but this like, is, you're like, oh, this one seems extra bad now. Now, like, is it like a good death? Like, in, <laughs> that sounds, but like good? in terms of like, he had like a succession plan set up and his kids were ready to rock and roll. Oh no, and this they're, is they're Russia. Like we're, we'll do like dad did, but times 10 best. Like, no, <laughs> no, not at not all. Um, his wife becomes, uh, Catherine the Great becomes czar. And though she starts off really strong, a little peasant revolt throws her in a big tizzy and then she cracks down on, like, it's just, it just doesn't go go well afterwards and the other thing um that i forgot to mention about peter that actually is really important he did not modernize agriculture um (laughs) yeah which is a bad bad idea so most of the biggest resources russia has to trade with anybody else's timber and wheat right that those are the two big things and um Russia has been feudal for a very long time. You have the boyars who are the Russian aristocracy. They own these huge plantations, swaths of land and serfs who are just like chattel. They can be bought or sold. It's hereditary work this land. Um, And the only reason Russia is able to produce so much grain is because there are 40 million peasants in Russia, 20 million, which are serfs. So it's simply, they have the labor to be able to produce a lot, but their technology is not modern They're They don't, have concepts of the three field system they don't use modern fertilizer so they're only producing a lot because there's a lot of people to produce and peter does not modernize that no that's a that's a problem i think i I don't want to get too deep into it just go back and listen to our um it's great no it isn't uh 
uh, episode on the industrial revolution mm-hmm. to see what needs to happen with regards to agricultural reform and modernization. If you're going to take that next right. step forward, you, that's a necessary, they kind of just glanced past that one. They huh? really did. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't improve at all. Um, mm-hmm. There's no, there's no motivation because the boyers don't want to lose their surf labor. They don't want to lose their plantations. Um, Czars are kind of wishy-washy after Peter and, and don't want to, you know, upset the balance of power. And so really things take another big step back after Peter dies. Right, and this right. is nowhere more evident than in 1853 with the Crimean War. Oh, and that's a huge step back because yeah. now I think if we're tracking everything right when in, in uh, 1462, when mm-hmm. we saw the, the Russians liberate from the Mongols, right. they've been playing catch up and catch up and catch up and catch yep. up. And I feel like in their mind, once we get to Crimea, in their mind, they're great. Like they've actually. Yeah, they feel like they've caught they've up done it, uh, at least know. decently. Right. Right. And then um, they, they start looking at, well, they've got some warm water, like, quote unquote warm water ports because the Baltic still is not that warm yeah. north. Yeah. But I mean, they, they're trading now they're right. out there in that space and now they have an opportunity because the sick man of Europe, the Ottoman empire seems like it's imploding on itself in the second half yeah. of the 1800s, which it and is now you can get a port in the black sea and the black sea. That was the heart of where we started all this. Right. That's what the Kievan Rus had tapped into back before the Mongols cut them down at the knees. And so it's like, Hey, this is an opportunity. And the Russians move into the Crimea, um, into Odessa, this trading area. They're mm-hmm. going to go trade. They're going to make it into the Med. Um, you know, we're not too far from the Suez Canal being opened yeah. up. Like this is a this is a big get if they can get it, and they don't even get close. No, yeah, this had they gained control of the Black Sea, that would have been huge. Like that's, I mean, they they they're fighting for the Black Sea, you know midway through the 20th century as well. Um, and they don't, they just can't get it because they suck. Um, yeah. uh, now in all fairness, let's, let's give, you know, credit to where credit is due. It's not like the Ottomans themselves defeated the Russians, right? Oh no. I'm, I'm sure the Russians are looking out and they're like, look, this, we got this, we got these guys. And then the Ottomans, I'm not even going to do an Ottoman. No, I don't. Because yeah, that's, no. that's sticky wicked right there. <laughs> um, but uh, they're, they're looking across and they're like, they, these guys don't know what's coming. And then the Ottomans play their trump card, which is the British. Like, oh, cheerio. Because mm-hmm. the British in, in 1853, they are in the mix of flexing on the world. Oh, uh, totally. talked about this. Yep. Uh, they've knocked over China. Um, they've knocked over uh, India, India or in the process of uh, yep. right at this point in time, knocking over India mm-hmm. and setting up the Raj. Like the Russians that's not like it's they're not worried the british aren't scared of the of the russians they're the, they're just going to be wiped to the side and then the british can start you know meddling in the internal affairs of the ottomans to start getting territory uh right. in the suez and eventually right. uh snatch that prize so the yeah the, the russians think like they show up thinking like we'll beat this other guy who's also old man and like <laughs> No, man. They walk in there and, and they literally brought a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, because the British and the reason the British um, 
you know, it's not like the British were like, we love you, the Ottomans, and we're total allies. It has nothing to do with it. They saw the writing on the wall. The Ottomans were eventually going to fall. Russia was a bigger threat to them at that standpoint, and they did not want Russia to gain access to the Black Sea because that would have really, really inhibited the British attempt to not only get the Suez Canal built, but to control the Suez Canal. And the reason, for those who are not aware, the Suez Canal is super important to the British because it dramatically cuts down the transportation time from India to London. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which I mean, is where this, all their resources are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. This that's a it's a geopolitical prize. Oh, totally. Right? If you can hold that territory. And so the Russians get pushed right off the map. Oh, it's they're, embarrassing. They're right yeah. back to square square one in yep. a lot of ways. Because I, again, it, it, and, and we we kind of goofed around about this, but they thought they were there. I mean, the, oh, they the did. country thought that they were there and they're not even close. Mm-hmm. Now they have to realize like we have to go back and start making some reforms. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to make the real reforms, then you got to start at the heart of the matter, which is the agricultural reforms that we've talked about. In the past. Right. And, and, and they did. They're, they're like, look, we can compete with the Ottomans. Like when they looked at the Ottomans, they're like, dude, we can totally take them. I don't know how much they were looking at anybody else in Europe um, because it became after the Crimean War. They're like, damn what just hit us with the British. And that, again, reinforces the idea, well, great, we're, you know, 12 steps behind again. So, so now they got to industrialize. There's, they know it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But to industrialize properly, the first step you have got to do is make sure you have an ample food supply and you don't need everybody on God's green earth to farm that food supply so you survive, right? And so that... And Peter hadn't done that. No czar had done that previously. And so we're going to tackle that in 1860, what, 1861, 1862 with Alexander uh, II. He's going to free the serfs from the Boyer population, you know, and he's like, serfs, you are now freed from the land. Go work in these factories that hopefully we're going to get newly built. Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, this this seems like this is going to be the, the step that makes it all possible for right. the Russians to get there. But again, it's not full on reform. No, it's it's it's, it's small scale reform. It's the type of reform that is helpful in getting you to like 16th century, mm-hmm. 17th century English levels, not 19th century. Correct. English levels. Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind with this is that the czars don't give up a lot of power. There's not no, they're lot, absolutist. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so um, in terms of the social reforms that have gone along with industrialization, that doesn't occur as well. Right. No. And so uh, while this is a step in the right direction, admittedly, right. very important, it's not going to be the type of thing that delivers the outcome that the Russians are looking for. And again, we have proof of that, right? Just like in 1853, we have the humiliation on the battlefield mm-hmm. of, of Crimea. In at the beginning of the 20th century, there's going to be more humiliations right. at the hands of outside uh, powers as well. And that'll spur, start to spur more change, right? And so oh, that's yeah, our Sino, uh, or not Russo-Japanese, Russo-Japanese war. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the problem is this, is that the way that the, the Russians can't do industrialization on their own. They don't have the expertise. They don't have the experience. They don't have the middle class. They don't have the education. So they're going to rely on British and French experts to come into Russia and help set up the factories and get everything going. Well, the only way they can pay for that is through timber and grain. But right. you just freed the serfs 
from the land. Right. You don't have a coerced or forced labor system to produce all the grain you're going to need, not only to pay for industrialization, but then also to feed your people. And you haven't updated the farming technology. So what ends up happening is even though they gain this labor source with these now free serfs who are peasants, the food that they are now producing by peasants who are still working the land, that's going to cover paying the British and French. Right. It ain't going to cover feeding your people. Right. Yeah, exactly. They haven't put in the time and the effort, right? And um, this is that well-tread path that we've talked a lot about with, with regards to modernization is modernization wasn't just one thing, right? No. It wasn't just freeing the service. It wasn't just creating the technology. It right. wasn't just creating the social contract. It was all of these things happening in mm -hmm. concert. Modernization is a band and you need all the different elements playing yeah. together mm -hmm. the, there needs to be that syncopation or else the, 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 it just it doesn't, doesn't work, work. Yeah. and and that's exactly what the russians run into here and then there's also this like added step and, and a little of this is editorializing but there's there's a laziness to the way the russians bring in the support as well yes uh, when we look at the way the Japanese went out and elicited support from Western powers, there was a lot more of a hands-on feel. There was a lot more of like, we will learn to replicate this and that we will take things over for ourselves. Right. Whereas the Russians, oftentimes you get this really cheap sort of version of like, mm -hmm. well, we want you here, but we still want to be prestigious and in our minds, we're great still. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's just, it just doesn't come together. Mm -hmm. Things are done lazily, right? And I know you have some examples of that, that laziness um, that that kind of coincides with this late 19th century push of modernization. Well, yeah, because, okay, so the one of the other big problems that Russia is going to face is when, when we look at in successful industrialization in France or United States or in England, it is not led by the government. It is led by the people. It is led by a middle and an upper class, right? right. Because industrialization that the government has to cover is ungodly expensive. So because there's no middle class, the government has to fund it. But this government doesn't know how to run it. This is not a democratically elected, educated no. government system. This is an old school absolutist system. Zars. They call themselves yeah. Zars. They're still Caesars in their mind. And so they do. Part of the reason they're hands off is because they don't know what the hell they're doing. Right? right. Leave it to the French and leave it to the British and let them figure it out and do what they're going to do. And and we'll have Russian peasants work in the factories. Um, and that that's a not a great idea. They've had no experience whatsoever with anything other than feudalism. And now you're going to throw them in an industrial factory. That right. That is ridiculous. Um, the boyers don't want this at all because the boyers are the plantation owners. They don't want things to change. They're They've super rich. Their power. Yeah. Their life is awesome. Okay, they're not going to be like, oh, you know what, let's just spend a tremendous amount of our money to modernize the technology on the farm so that industrialization can be more successful. They don't care. No, the analogy there would be the American South during yeah. the, right, right before the American Civil War, right? Yeah, they have their system. No, they, yeah. they have no desire to do any of that as well. Yeah. Right? So um, go ahead. Go ahead. And then. And, and so those are all, so that, that is just going to put a wrench in the industrialization process. And even when you do have people who are good, like Sergei Vitt, who was like right, the, the yeah. minister of finance, who knew what needed to be done, knew that foreign capital had to be brought in to help them, had, was responsible for the building of the Trans-Siberian Railroad, which actually is a good part of the industrialization because it does allow Russia to connect all their different regions and get resources. Even though but it's it, a crappy it's, railroad. Yeah, it's a crap. Yeah, don't, yeah, it doesn't work. No. 
work in the in the long run. That's one of those like Western sort of like the Trans Siberian Railroad is. I, I feel like it's got this really romantic view, and it sucks. Yeah, it's, it's like not cool. it's like Big Thunder Mountain at Disneyland. I've never been. Oh my gosh, Mr. Vereen. I know. Always a contrarian. So they so Russia does industrialize, but it's like this pseudo industrialization. It's it's not high level. It's not efficient. Um, the the conditions of the people are not improved. Um, so while on the surface it looks different, in reality it's not much different from what we've seen in Russia in the past. Right. And so we're at this very fragile moment. And this is the last time we'll get to roll snake eyes again. Um, we get, well, you know, you know the, well, the yeah, I mean, for, from the imperial standpoint, <laughs> yeah, right. right, is that uh, you get a guy like Tsar Nicholas II, and he is like oh. the, the worst of them all. Like, if there could have been negative snake eyes, like, it would have been him if, rolling if zero roll on zeros, a dice that has no zero. Exactly. Yeah. You're thinking of it the same way I have. Exactly. Like if somehow, some way that could have been what happened. Like the last one was the worst one of them all. Oh, he um, was just, I mean, he even admitted it when, yeah. when he was going to become czar. He's like, dude, I'm not ready. I don't think this yeah, is a like, good anybody idea. But me, not me. <laughs> like, and, and, and then you, you kind of wonder like, you know, I did the whole Rasputin thing, but it's like, why is it like, Oh yeah. It's this peasant from Siberia. He'd be in charge. Like, like he was looking for anybody to be in charge. Well, and then at the very end, he's like, I guess I'll be in charge. And that was the, the final nail in the coffin. Right, when he, he finally got doing, yeah. hands on, it's the worst possible and then, outcome. Even when he admits that he doesn't know what he's doing, once he gets in power, he's like, don't challenge me. God picked me. I'm like, that's right. Yeah. Dude. Like, when we have like, um, like bloody Sunday yeah. and then the Duma tries to get some control. And th- I mean, these are well hashed out things that we've hit in class but like yeah no he, he yeah just he, he, he's got a but but that's the trappings because if right. he doesn't do that then everybody's going to know the emperor has no clothes and and people gonna are going to feast on him yeah yeah exactly yeah so and we know how that ends for him right yeah it doesn't go well little you no. know execution so so at the beginning of the 20th century russia is technically industrialized but it is like a poor man's industrialization I mean, that's, right. that's the best way to explain it. it. Is. it um, is. That is shown through the loss of the Russo-Japanese War yeah, uh, because the Japanese do more in industrializing in 20 years than Russia did in 100. Right, yeah. And then there was another rehashed Crimea like we talked about. Oh, yeah, the disaster. Russians show up and they're like, oh, yes, we show these Japanese. Oh, they sink all our boats already, <laughs> yeah, huh? Right. Like, well, they didn't sink your boats. They sank uh, on their own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that happens. And then the Russians go back to the lab, um, make some reforms. They start to, to, you know, try to make these like half-hearted reforms. And then we get to World War One, yeah, And we talked again. a lot about the, the Schlieffen plan. And the French and the British that sucked the Germans all the way into France. Yeah. They, they bogged them down long enough at the battle of the Marne. The Russians should have been able to just walk into Germany and take it. And of course they don't. They don't because it sucks. Their reforms they didn't work they again. Couldn't get anybody. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't get people to the battlefield. Most of those guys didn't even have guns. Can you imagine that for a second showing up for the biggest war in world history? Without a gun. The Russians are like, no, the guns are coming. I promise. Just keep walking. Like, and, and the Russians had like 25 million soldiers ready to mobilize. Ready to and, yeah. They didn't have the modern technology, the modern no. guns, the artillery, nothing. They were literally like 17th century soldiers dressed up to look like the modern military and got slaughtered. Just Yeah, the Germans again. had one army guarding yeah. the, the back. And then, the, you know, they, they sent the Germans get Ludendorff over there. And he's like, why did you guys even send me? I could have gone over one in the, in the mm-hmm. West. Why did you send me East? Like a hamster could beat these guys. <laughs> you know, these guys are not exactly good at what they do. 
Um, and then, so we know Lennon takes over right. and he starts to make some reforms and things are going well. And then we get snake eyes again. He has a stroke. Right. And Stalin, you know, the yeah. one guy who could have led Trotsky, Trotsky gets killed yeah, by, he, assassinated by Stalin. Yeah. He's ice picked in the back of the head. Yeah. And that's great. And then Stalin's just amazing. I mean, that, I think the one thing that that's our, our next, no, I'm just kidding that he's not. I was like, he's what horrible. exactly is your definition of amazing? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's amazing at destroying things. Oh, he is. He, like he up. excels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we talked about uh, the, the uh, famine in the Ukraine and we oh, talked yeah. about the show what? trials and we talked about how bad, you know, the Russians are at the beginning of world war two, just as bad as they were at the beginning of world war one. Yep. Um, and, and then, you know, better. Stalin dies, yep. you know, he has a stroke and it's like, oh, here's our chance. And then you get Khrushchev and it's just, it's one after the other, after the other, all the way up to Putin, right? Like, you know, you have like- I'd be Soviet really careful saying apart. anything, don't I say know, anything negative about Putin. That. You know, know they're he's, listening everywhere. He's listening everywhere, yeah. right? But like, you know, like how, how can one group of people, you know, just be so snake bit? Like they just over and over and over again, right? It's a sunny day outside for the world. And Not Russia, Russia is Russia. Rainy. Did you ever yeah. see um, the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was so amazing. There was, there was a really poignant line in there that the Russian people are some of the hardiest, hardworking, and hopeful people on the planet because they are willing to sacrifice to make tomorrow a better day for the Russian people. And I just think that fits so well. Every single time a new czar comes in or a promise of revolution, they believe again and they, they follow it with all their heart and then it collapses. And then someone yeah. else comes in and says, we're going to make it happen this time. And they follow it with all their heart and it collapses. And I just think that's kind of the story of Russia. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not it's not their fault. I mean, and, and that's a good, I think, good way to end this is that the, there's nothing bad about the Russian people. I think no, all things considered, you give those people with their industriousness and their willingness to always find the bright side and, and to push through all that, those that mountains of crap that yeah. they've have been that heaved upon been them since, upon the begin, them, yeah. since the beginning, give them a chance Right. And they could probably do amazingly great things because they've done pretty amazing and great things despite everything else. Right. I know. Yeah. Unfortunately, right. that is probably not going to happen under Putin. So, no. Yeah. See all those coronavirus doctors keep <sighs> falling out windows. Yeah. I know. It's it makes disgusting. you really, yeah. So, Yay, another uplifting, <laughs> sunny side episode of Storytime with a Historist. Um, but hey, it's a World History Podcast, and that's what we're here for on uh, the World uh, History Podcast Network. That is Storytime with a Historist. We are all about that history. You know it. Well, thanks for joining us again. Um, Mr. Breen, as always, a pleasure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. We'll see you again next time. Bye.